My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Wednesday, September 26th, 2012. We will be doing our light edition today. Two more installments on the Book of Colossians. Which I am very excited about. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, which also means that if you're going to do the comparative work, you got to know what God's Word says. So uh, once a week, we... Uh, we do what I call a light edition. doesn't mean that the topic is thin or shallow or anything like that. In fact, anything but many times it's a, like all the time. It's like an in-depth lecture on a particular topic. And so I turn the microphone over to somebody else. And we've been working our way through the series of lectures uh, presented by the Reverend Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, as he's been working through the book of Colossians. Today we will be putting in two installments of two different lectures because both of them are brief. So what we'll do is we'll do uh, next the next lecture, Lecture 7, take a, a quick break, pay some bills, and, uh, and then come back and listen to Lecture number 8, and that will be our program for today. In fact, what we're going to do is we're just going to dive right into it. So if you've been listening to the program, been downloading podcasts and you're you're ready for the next two installments and you know, so let me just get out of the way and here's the Reverend Ron Hodel. Okay, let's uh let's begin. We're we're uh, in Colossians. Uh, we're starting the second chapter. So, um You have your Bibles? Otherwise, if you saw the movie, um <laughs> 
and have the movie memorized. You're good. Conrad has a memory. One of those young ladies who uh, was a uh, torchbearer this morning, they, they're members at Messiah Lutheran in Danville, which is Northern California, uh, about oh, half an hour from where we were uh, up at Zion and Piedmont. And one of those girls during confirmation class decided that what she was going to do was memorize the Athanasian Creed. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she memorized it. That's amazing. Um, that's, that's something, yes. Okay, chapter 2 of Colossians. We'll read the first five verses. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay, Paul takes up in this section uh, topics of wisdom, knowledge, uh, understanding, and those are things that we've already looked at briefly at uh, in his uh, because Paul included that in his introduction the introduction to his letter was like an overture to the to the symphony and now he's going to start getting into the 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 details of what is challenging the Colossian Christians he says I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you Paul is uh, the the Greek word there is agony Um, Paul finds himself in agony over what's going on in Colossae it gives us a picture of Paul as a pastor, doesn't it? Uh, he is concerned about his congregation's spiritual welfare. He knows that they're being attacked, and it's agonizing to him. Um, it's agonizing because theological errors can't just be overlooked. Uh, call us picky or something like that. But you know, you don't want your doctor to overlook things in a, in a, in a diagnosis in, re, in, in relation to your health or your attorney to overlook some things. You, you want them to be, be thorough, and Paul's thorough, and he's very concerned about some of the things that are coming up uh, challenging the, 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 the faith life of, of his, his brothers and sisters there in Colossae. Um, the theological errors are not going to go away on their own. They're going to keep cropping up, and so... Paul knows Satan is going to do whatever he can to challenge the body of Christ there. Not just the body of Christ, but individually the members there. Um, He's going to do whatever it takes to drag the Colossians out of the kingdom. Uh, He's going to do whatever it takes to drag you and I out of the kingdom. And thanks be to God, uh, uh, we have uh, the Spirit of God who uh, intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words, who who, uh, has been with us in the waters of holy baptism and has made us God's children and is constantly there protecting us. But Paul is very, very much in agony over what's going on there. There and in Laodicea, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a town about 11 miles away from Colossae. And uh, Epaphras who started Colossae is also the pastor that probably started Laodicea. Laodicea is one of the seven churches that gets mentioned in the book of Revelation. 
and and we we know a bit about uh, Laodicea, and so I thought we'd take a, a little rabbit trail run down uh, over to Revelation chapter three. If you want to join me there, Revelation chapter three. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that church in Laodicea and some of the struggles that that they had because they're different than the struggles that the Colossians had. Um, in chapter three of Revelation, starting at verse fourteen. John writes, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, that the angel is a reference to the pastor, to the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So four times uh, Paul uh, refers to Laodicea in his letter to the Colossians. Um, as I said, Colossae and Laodicea are, are towns close together. And in fact, Paul even wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have that letter, but he actually wrote them to the, to the church of Laodicea. Um, we don't have the letter, um, uh, probably because the Lord willed that John write a letter to Laodicea in, in Revelation. So in that, in that introduction, Jesus hints at what he is going to be telling them. Jesus says, Amen. Now, Amen is the Hebrew word for truth. And so in the Old Testament, when when God calls himself uh, the, the God of truth, he is the Amen. Um, and in the New Testament, uh, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, um, Jesus says, Amen. Amen, the true and faithful witness. So Jesus, who is God, is writing to the Laodiceans who, and you can kind of read into it here, have not been a faithful witness to Christ. Um, And then Jesus calls himself the beginning of God's creation. Not just the beginning, uh, 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 not beginning the, the just the original creation of, of this world, um, but he's also the, the the beginning of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation that's come to you in the waters of your holy baptism by by water and the Spirit. Um, he says, "I know your works." Uh, Laodicea is a is a town where you would probably want to move to if you were. Uh, back in Paul's day. It uh, was a comfortable city. 
And apparently the congregation was rather a comfortable congregation to be in. There, as far as we can tell, there were no outside persecutions. And it doesn't seem that they had a bunch of false teachers inside the congregation running around spreading lies. The town also was a wealthy town. Uh, it was a town that was healthy. And it was a town that was well-clothed. And uh, there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why Paul br- or, uh, uh, John brings those things up. Um, the Laodiceans had started to put their faith and their trust in, in the things that had made them comfortable in Laodicea. And they kind of felt protected by their wealth. Um, but of course, therein lies the problem. Uh, they're trusting the wrong thing. And so it's so serious that in all seven of those churches in Revelation, uh, uh, Jesus speaks a word of condemnation and he speaks a word of commendation. But to the Laodiceans, there's no word of commendation. There's only condemnation. Um, uh, even Sardis, uh, which Jesus said was dead. Uh, at least he said there were still a few faithful people. But here uh, in Colossae, it seems like the whole congregation shot. Um, he says that you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Um, would that you were either cold or hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. All right. Now, the, the hot we can understand. Now, that makes sense. I mean, somebody's on fire for Jesus, that kind of thing. That, that makes a lot of sense. Burning with dedication, that, that we understand. But it also says, would that you were cold. Um, and that's a little bit harder to understand. Um, some commentators have said uh, that, that uh, would that you were cold in the sense that you'd never heard the gospel f- before. So that, so that when, you, when you hear it for the first time, when you've been broken by the law, when you hear it for that first time, the freedom that you have in that and the great joy that you have in that excites you. But because you're lukewarm, it's just kind of whatever. Um, and so uh, you're, you, it just kind of passes right by you. Um, that's what some commentators uh, uh, say about this. But cold could mean something else. Um, the geography of this area uh, is such that there are mineral hot springs about six miles uh, to the north. Um, and, of course, hot is soothing. It's uh, healing. Uh, you all have uh, been in jacuzzis, or maybe you have been all in jacuzzis, and it's just really nice to get in there and have it uh, kind of pound your body, and it really feels good. It's very soothing. Um, and then there were also cold springs six miles uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the other direction. And so, um, uh, of course, cold is rather soothing. It's rather refreshing. Um, Gail and I swim laps uh, at, at a, one of the pools uh, near her school, and the, the, it's not refreshing. Um, the pool is basically lukewarm. Um, it, it, if it was cold, we could really swim. Um, but it's not hot enough to be a jacuzzi. It's just plain lukewarm, and, and it's just not invigorating and good for a workout at all. Um, there in Laodicea, what was happening is the rivers uh, from these hot mineral springs and the, and the cool springs were coming together into a river that went down through Laodicea. And by the time the water got to, to Laodicea, the river was basically lukewarm there in, in the town. And uh, lukewarm is not stimulating. It's, uh, it, it's kind of nothing. And so the Holy Spirit uh, says, uh, don't be like your water, um, neither soothing 
nor stimulating. If you are, if you like lukewarm water or lukewarm beer, I'll spew you out of my mouth, he says. Um, It's like their sin is a sin of apathy. Um, And I think what he's getting at here is that uh, sometimes we serve in our witness to other people as something hot, as, as, as something like a spa, like something soothing. Somebody that really needs to hear the forgiveness of Christ. They need to hear that soothing message. All right. There are other times when we're called to be stimulating. Um, and there's nothing more stimulating than, than, than the law. It's like ice water thrown on you. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Are you a sinner? Yes. Then death is the wages. Um, that's, that's not soothing. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> You would call it invigorating, invigorating because the gospel comes next, but it's it's shocking. Um, and the Laodiceans were neither. They were neither in their witness invigorating to people or soothing to people. They were just blah. And so it's like the Laodiceans have so much going for them that they've just become very passive, so to speak. And Jesus, of course, talks about that. He says, you know, it's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter heaven. Because it's just really easy to start putting your trust in the things of this life and the things of this world rather than the, in the one who created the heavens and the earth. Um, and what the Laodiceans didn't realize that it takes Jesus uh, to tell them is that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus is being a bit sarcastic there. Um, uh, because Jesus says, you know, if you really, what, what you really, if you really want to be truly rich, then you need to invest in gold from me, white clothes and salve. Um, and the reason he brings that up is because Laodicea was a wealthy town. Uh, the Roman government minted coins in Laodicea. And so maybe that's the reference to gold. The, apparently the town was filled with financial um, institutions. And one commentator said that Cicero even banked there. So uh, you could bank where Cicero banked, you know, and I could imagine the ads and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, so, so, uh, so the gold is a reference to the wealth that the town thinks it has. Now, don't, the investment in gold in this town is nothing like the investment of gold from me, Jesus says. And then a huge textile industry, um, which might be the reference to white clothes. And uh, uh, the, the town uh, had made this beautiful cloth from the black sheep that were in the area. And so he says, you think you're well clothed. You need to buy white clothes from me. All right. And then finally, they had a medical school there. Um, they had a medical industry there. And it was salve for the eyes that uh, they had patented and uh, had uh, marketed to the rest of the world. And so uh, health was a, was, a, was a great export of, of the town of Laodicea. And so Jesus says, no, you buy salve for your eyes from me. Um, the things that Jesus urges them to buy into are even greater things than this town offers. Um, And so here, gold that's been refined in fire, the purest gold, the gold of the gospel of God's forgiveness, and the white clothing of Jesus' perfect righteousness. We heard that referred to in the baptism again this morning. Uh, uh, Receive uh, this white garment um, uh, to remind 
Luke, and of course, as we watch it too, to remind us of the fact that we are clothed, not with our own righteousness, that's pitiful, poor stuff, but with Christ's perfect righteousness. And then finally, the healing of God's word that gives spiritual sight to blind eyes. Um, that's what, that's the Laodicea that, that Paul is talking about or talking to when, when he, uh, talks about, uh, Laodicea in, in uh, Colossians chapter two, verse one. Um, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face haven't seen me uh, uh, in the flesh. Um, it's a great, he's a great pastor. Um, one who has a great care for his congregation. Um, that their hearts may be encouraged. That, that inner part of us, that, that true inner part of us. That your hearts may be truly uh, uh, convinced of the truth of the gospel. Um, that the gospel is the core of your inner being. Um, that they not only believe it, um, you know, know it intellectually in that sense, but to, but believe it and trust it, right? That your heart may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Another way to translate that was to be instructed in love. The Colossians had been instructed in the love that is God, because God is love, and they'd been instructed in the love that God showed to them in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul's prayer is that the love that God has for them knits them all together in, in a Christ-like love for one another. Which sounds a lot like that prayer that we pray after, after the Lord's Supper, after communion. Um, that, that we be strengthened in faith towards you and in fervent love toward one another. Okay? Um, it's rather imperfect now. Uh, it's no secret to any of us sitting in this room. The imperfections of the church and, and all of its uh, problems and disappointments that, that, that we run into. But our prayer is that the Lord's Supper will strengthen us in faith toward Christ and in fervent love with our brothers and sisters all through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's a reality that we can't quite see, but it's there in Christ Jesus, our Lord for us. So once again, as communion begins with references to the peace of the Lord be with you and also to you, makes that, uh, that the liturgy has that, that uh, Trinitarian of, 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 of peace. Uh, here, after the Lord's Supper, there's a reference to peace as well, that we are at peace with one another in, uh, in Christian love with one another. Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So the full understanding that Paul's writing about is the understanding that it's all Christ alone. It's Christ plus nothing. It's the whole you know, Galatians. It's Christ plus nothing. Of, of this, Luther said, God has overwhelmed us with unspeakable eternal treasures by his Son and the Holy Spirit, and these riches are safe. They are hid with Christ in God. 
and that they're safe is really good news. Um, I don't know how often, you know, you end up looking at, you look at the internet and you, and you read one of those panic articles. Like, uh, um, there is no longer any place where you can safely put your money, you know? Now we may get into a conversation about that, but what is an absolutely safe place that you can put your money? In your mattress, right? That might be. I hadn't thought about that. You know, it's just, um, is it gold? Is it stocks? Is it euros? Is it this? Is it that? Is it treasure? (laughs) Pull your hair out. Um, That's why you have uh, people like David here that can guide us in that, right? (laughs) Um, <laughs> but uh, the one thing that you can have full assurance in that is an absolutely safe thing is that your salvation is safe in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, um, Paul wants the Colossians to have full assurance that the most important thing that they have, they have, and it's theirs forever. They have Christ. Or even better than that, Christ has them. All right? That their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of God of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And we already dealt with mystery a little bit earlier. Uh, um, of course, God's great mystery that he has revealed to the world, his self-revelation in Scripture, is, is Christ. So verse verse um, verse three. It's a mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, hidden there doesn't mean hidden from you, as if you can't find it. That's what the that's what the false teachers were were saying. You know, I've got the truth. It's hidden from everybody in the world. But for a little bit of you know, I can give you some truth here. All right. Um, well, that's not what he's that that's that's what he's speaking against. That's what Paul's speaking against. That's what the false teachers are teaching. Um, the deep mysteries and wisdom and knowledge are not hidden from most. They're revealed for free. Um, so Paul tells us that God has revealed this mystery to the world. He's revealed what has been hidden or Guarded for safekeeping. So, as Paul is saying here, if you want the treasures of wisdom, if you want the treasures of knowledge, he's saying don't listen to the false teachers out there who are who are trying to tell you where those things are hidden. No, it's all available to you in Christ. They're yours. They're guarded for safekeeping in Christ. So, look there. Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. No one. Anyone who is proclaiming anything or anyone other than Christ Jesus and him crucified. I say this so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. Um, uh, Impressive sounding rhetoric. The false teachers. Uh, Throughout history, silver-throated oratory and dynamic public speaking have often been used to promote falsehood. And you can just go through your mind and think about these people, the sirens who are out there singing their songs, and they are enticing those who listen into danger, spiritual danger, 
um, not just to drive us up onto the rocks, um, but to destroy us body and soul. And Satan knows just the song to sing to you, to enchant you away from Christ and his cross, doesn't he? You know, we're a well-armored person, except for that one little chink in the armor. And Satan just seems to know right where that chink is, you know. Um, uh, And whatever it is, it's a plausible argument that the fallen part of each of us is willing to, to listen to. And so Paul says, don't let anyone delude you by these plausible arguments. Don't listen to Satan. Listen to Christ. For although, verse 5, I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He says, I am with you in spirit. Um, Now, the Greek text doesn't uh, have capitals and lowercase letters, all right? And so we have to tell from the context whether this is uh, the Holy Spirit or whether it's uh, a human spirit or something uh, like that. Um, And so with you in spirit could mean you're on my mind and with you in spirit. Um, Or it could mean that since the Holy Spirit ministers to our spirits and he does that through the word and we're brothers and sisters in Christ through the word, uh, we're united by our mutual attention to God's word and Holy Scripture where the the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Um, So... For though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Uh, Paul, Dr. Dieterding, uh, makes the comment that good order and firmness had military um, connotations to it. Uh, uh, And so God's gift uh, resists incursions by the enemy by the false teachers. Um, It resists it because the truth cannot abide in the presence of the lie. Something's got to give. It's it's that... uh, It's the two parades uh, that take place in Holy Scripture when the parade with the widow of Nain and her son are coming out of the town to bury her son and Jesus and his parade are coming into the town and somebody's got to give. Okay, The truth cannot abide in the presence of, of the lie. And so a rightly ordered faith in Christ has some protections built into it. I mean, if you have a right understanding of original sin, then that kind of protects you from the idea that there's well, that there's good in all of us and we can, you know, all do our part to assist God in getting ourselves saved or something like that. Or a right understanding of objective justification protects you. Then when you when you really start to get down and you really wonder, you know what, did, did Jesus really die for me? Did he really die for me? I could understand everybody else, but for me, I not that. I, that can't be forgiven. That thing that I did, that cannot be forgiven. The, the doctrine of objective justification protects you from, from that. It says, yes, even you, because he died for the sins of the world. And are you in the world? Then he died for you. So it's kind of these protections that are built into it. Um, 
It seems that the Colossian Christians, with all the problems that were going on in that congregation, were still resisting uh, the appeal to the false teachers. And so Paul's commending them there. He says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, he goes on in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. Um, That uh, is one of the earliest confessions of the Christian church. Paul brings it up in Romans chapter 10 when he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, From 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3. Paul writes to the, to, the, to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can, if you can say Jesus is Lord, then it's the Holy Spirit who has enabled you to say that and believe that. Um, so Christ Jesus the Lord is one of the, one of the first Christian creeds Um, And then, of course, it expands from there. Um, Jesus says, or Paul says, walk with him. It's kind of an ethical term there. Um, uh, Conduct befitting who you are. Paul does this a number of times. He does it in Ephesians uh, a few times. And he does it in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, From Ephesians uh, chapter 4, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And a little bit later on in chapter 4, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then he says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, It's conduct befitting who you are. Um, now that you've been justified, now that you know that God has declared you not guilty, guilty as sin you are, but God has declared you to be not guilty. Wow. Wow. Um, So how is it now, in this new freedom that you have, you're no longer under condemnation. Now, in this new freedom that you have, How do you want to live in the vocation that God has put you into? How do you want to live? There's no longer condemnation for you. How do you now live um, as an accountant? How do you now live as a lawyer? How do you now live as a doctor? How do you now live as a a wife, as a husband, as, as a teacher, as a parent, as a grandparent? Um, how do you live? Um, and uh, it reminds me of Luther's uh, comment to the cobbler who receives the gospel. It says, now, uh, now that I'm a Christian, how should I live? And Luther's answer to him is, be a good cobbler to the glory of God. Be the best that you can be in the vocation that, you've, that he's put you into. Because now you're his hands and you're his feet in this world. Um, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Not so that you can be good enough and he'll let you in, but because of who you are. You're now a child of God. 
Well, Sunday school, the kids are going to be let out soon, so I'm going to stop at this point, and uh, we'll pick up with verse uh, 7 uh, next week. The Lord be with you. Thanks. All right, that was Lecture 7. We're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Uh, yeah, click on the subscribe button there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Saddleback Customer Service, this is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? I want to invite you to register for the free Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally coming to the following cities the fall of 2012. These are one night and they're free, but you must register online at worldviewweekend.com. We're going to start out October 7th in Destin, Florida. Then we're on to Wichita, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rogers, Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. They're free, they're one night, and it's the Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Please post this on your Facebook, put it out to your email address book. Help us get out the word about these free fall 2012 Biblical Worldview Weekend Rallies. Speakers will include myself, Brandon House, along with Justin Peters, Mike Gendron, 
Jimmy D. Young, and a few others. Don't miss out on the fall Worldview Weekend rallies coming to these cities. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not preaching the gospel or doing in-depth biblical teaching. These are the things you need to grow your faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 okay here's the next lecture lecture number eight on uh, pastor hodel's lecture on the book of colossians here we go um we are in colossians the chapter is chapter number two and we're going to start commenting on uh, verse uh, seven and, and following uh, so let me read, um, let me read, uh, six through, um, through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us by its legal demands." 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When Paul uses those words rooted and, and built up, they're metaphors. They're, they come from agriculture, they come from, from construction. And they point to someone or something that is firm, something that's enduring. And Paul prays that the faith of, of the Corinthians, or the Colossians here, be deeply rooted um, rooted in the good soil of God's word, not built on the sands. Um, and that's what's going to come up in verse 8. Not built on the sands of philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, but rather built on the rock who is Christ. So Paul prays for a deep rootedness and that the Colossians be built up in him. So there's a firmness in the Christian faith that comes from being built up in the Word of God. It's a firmness not in the sense of being a, a, a sternness, but rather a, a firmness in that unwavering assurance that you have in Christ. So that when all the bad things that end up happening to us in life come along, and they always do, um, you're firm. Uh, you won't be toppled over, blown over in the wind. Or the, the sands, the, 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 the waves of the sea take the sand away from your building and you tumble. Uh, you don't tumble because your faith is rooted deep. Um, your faith is built well on Christ. And the way to be rooted and built up and established in the faith is by being in the Word. Um, as I think about it, you know, there are a lot of spiritual exercises that, that uh, we're encouraged to do, and some of them are very good. And uh, certainly there's, there's conferences to go to, and some of them are very, very good. And there's some absolutely fantastic books out there to read that are very, very good. And there are gurus, if you will, to listen to and on and so forth. But in the end, God works through his word. Uh, and so when, when you're in the word... The Word works. It's just the nature of the Word. It works. It's a living Word. It's not a dead Word. So God's Word was the center of what the Colossians had received. It was the center of what they had been taught. And it's the center of what you've received. It's the center of what you've been taught. And it's something that, you know, with all the things that come at us from all the different sides that we use the word as that touchstone so that we always know uh, what we're hearing and whether it's, whether it's um, you know, the, the, the sands of time or whether it's the rock of Christ. And Paul continues on. He says, just as you were taught. Um, in verse 8, he's going to warn against um, empty human tradition. And here Paul's encouraging the Colossians not to change. Um, not to neglect the traditions that were handed over to them. And so when, when he says that, that the, you know, when I, when I say tradition, I simply mean that, that Christian doctrine that you ha have learned. I think in our time, doctrine 
the words doctrine and the words tradition get a real bum rap. Um, doctrine, I guess, is seen as something that keeps you from advancing. Tradition is something that keeps you from being able to move ahead in this life. So I was thinking about it. I was thinking, um, I think, I think doctrine or, 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 or tradition is kind of like an anchor on my boat. Um, it's not a bad thing that an anchor holds me back because it actually holds me back so I don't drift onto the rocks or get crushed in the surf. Um, it's okay to swing at anchor. Well, we swing a bit at anchor, um, but we don't drift away from what's, what's solid. Um, the tradition Paul's talking about here, or the teaching that, that the Colossians have learned, is like their anchor. And with their anchor firmly set in the word, oh, they can swing a little bit. There's a little bit of give back and forth, but never into an area of doctrinal danger. Never onto the rocks of, 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 of heresy or something like that. Um, tradition uh, isn't a negative word in the scriptures. Um, tradition encapsulates the entirety of that which the Lord has told us to keep watch over. All that I have taught you. When he talks about that uh, in at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. All that I have taught you. Um, that's the tradition, the, the doctrine that he taught. And, and, uh, there's a difference between human tradition and, and biblical tradition. It's, it's a, it's a false dichotomy if you, if you say, well, there's traditional and there's contemporary. Okay. Though that you, you, um, if you think about it, uh, that's a false dichotomy. It pits one against the other. Tradition includes all that Jesus has taught, all of Christian doctrine. Contemporary simply means that it needs to be understood by the people who are hearing it. Um, and so what's important is that tradition and the way that it is worded, that those two things aren't saying something different when you do the translation. Um, that's why we're very careful about the songs that we sing, you know, the words, uh, whether they're you know, uh, in the third service with the, with the, uh, entire band or whether it's in the first service with the organ. We're careful about the songs that we sing. Very careful about that. Um, that the liturgy is, is rightly worded. That, that sermons get agonized over. That we wrestle with it. You know, somebody, uh, I remember when I was in seminary, they, that we, somebody asked, uh, how, how much time should you spend preparing for a sermon? And the response was, for every minute you're in the pulpit, you spend an hour in preparation. You know, so if you figure a, if you, uh, you figure a 20 minute sermon, you got 20 hours in that week preparing the sermon. Now you, you know, sometimes it comes easier than other times. I'll grant that. Um, and sometimes after 20 hours, you're still going, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work. Um, but nevertheless, it's something to be agonized over because you don't want the, the wording, the contemporary wording, because you have to understand it, be something that the tradition isn't saying. Um, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he gets to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
talks about philosophy and empty deceit. By philosophy, Paul's using that word very broadly. Paul here is not attacking Dr. Brandt back there in the back row. Or, yes, right. <laughs> or, or Dr. Dean. Yeah, right. Um, now, now, perhaps you can uh, uh, philosophically uh, explain to us how you become a doctor of philosophy and philosophy. Isn't that PhD kind of in philosophy? Is that how that goes? But never mind. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, Paul's not talking about what Dr. Brandt and Dr. Dean are doing. What, what he's talking about are the variety of points of view. Um, all the different abilities, uh, the, the academic things, the practical things. It's not bad to be a student of philosophy um, to understand the differences of all the, the world views out there. And it might even be helpful to parts of life. But what Paul's getting at is all of that is powerless on its own to explain God adequately. Um, so he's saying, don't be deceived, which is what the, the Gnostics were trying to do to the Colossians. Um, don't be deceived by empty deceit. And when he uses the word deceit, it's not limited to people who are purposely trying to deceive you. Um, it includes people. It includes the idea that you can be very sincere about what you believe and be in error and lead other people astray. He's talking about that too. I'm sure that the Jehovah's Witnesses across the street are very sincere in their belief that Jesus Christ is not Lord and God. I'm sure they're very secure in that. But just because they believe it with all their heart, soul, mind, and body, so to speak, doesn't make them right and doesn't mean that they're not deceiving people when they go out door to door on their, on their excursions through your neighborhood. Um, so don't be taken by philosophy and empty deceit, human tradition. We just talked about that. Um, according to the elemental spirits, he says. And the elemental spirits, as we saw a little bit earlier, could be the basic the, the the basic elements of this fallen world. Scripture uses the word like that sometimes. Or it could mean the fallen angels, because he's been talking about uh, angels in this in this chapter as well, who um who are behind all of the false teaching, the fallen angels who are behind all the false teaching. Don't be taken and don't be deceived by them. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Um, we dealt with uh, the, the, this a little bit earlier, the deity uh, dwelling bodily in Christ, when we looked at um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Um, fullness was one of those terms that the, the Gnostics were using. Okay? It, uh, it referred to the, the, the number of false divine beings that emanated from God. Perhaps the, 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 the angels and rulers and authorities and thrones and dominions that Paul gets, uh, that Paul refers to every once in a while. And so against this, Paul teaches that everything that is of God dwells in Christ. And Paul includes deity, uh, to make the point. Yes. I have a question over here. Yes. Oh, 
just pops out really strongly there is depend. Okay. In other words, the, the bad part is depending on all these as though they had authority. Yeah, as though they had authority, yes. There's things we can learn from many different uh many different uh things, but but not to depend on those for our relationship with Christ. He determines that one. Right. Very good. Yes. Yes. So whatever makes God to be God dwells in Jesus Christ and dwells in him bodily and dwells in him fully. Uh, that's why we confess in the Nicene Creed that Christ is very God of very God being of one substance with the Father. He's fully God. And that's why our Lutheran confessions say, in this personal union, the two natures in Christ have such a grand, intimate, indescribable communion that even the angels are astonished by it. Um, no wonder we can't quite get our hands around it. Uh, the angels are astonished. Um, and this, it's not that was then and this is now. Uh, when it says dwells bodily, those words are in the present tense. So Christ continues to dwell with his human body as both God and man for all eternity. In other words, you can't separate the divine and the human Jesus and stick the human Jesus up there in heaven and the divine side of Jesus down here on earth. And so if his body then is in heaven, then he can't be with us in the Lord's Supper, right? You know, that, that's kind of the logic behind it, the, the, uh, the deceit, I would say. Not, not according to Paul. Um, wherever the second person of the Holy Trinity is, he is there with both of his natures intact. Um, and if you want more on that, then uh, I think most of those videos from Dr. Rosenblatt when he went uh, over the two natures in Christ are up on the, up on the web and to, to review those. Um, and if the fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ, that heresy that was being propagated in, in Colossae, that, that matter is evil, um, he, he's speaking against that. Because the matter that God created, um, he called good, and flesh is not evil, and, and the spirit is good. No, Jesus is God and man in one person. Verse 10, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. You've been filled in the sense of you have been completed. Um, in other words, Christians have all that they need when they're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you have all that you need. There's nothing more. There's no additional baptism in the Spirit. There's no secret knowledge that you have to pay either ancient or modern Gnostics for. There's no checklist that you have to make sure that you have covered so that you uh, can guarantee for yourself that you are better today than you were yesterday, that you're closer to Jesus now than you were uh, 20 minutes ago. You have everything that you need when you are in Christ. You have His righteousness his perfect righteousness, credited to you. It's yours. You have his holiness imputed to you, counted as yours. You have all that you need in Christ. And it's a fullness that is ours, not the day we die. It's a fullness that you have even right now. 
wasn't a, a neat part of the sermon when Pastor Rody talked about King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's the King and he's the Lord, but who's the Lords and who's the Kings? Yeah. In Christ, we're the Lords and we're the Kings who reign with him. Wow. Peter says, the redemption accomplished by Christ makes us partakers of the divine nature since we are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body, and thus partakers of the divine nature. A couple quotes from, uh, first one from a man by the name of Martin Chemnitz. He wrote uh, the book that Dr. Rosenblatt uh, used to talk about the two natures in Christ. Um, some say that if uh, Martin Chemnitz hadn't come, come along, then we wouldn't have known the first Martin, Martin Luther. Um, but uh, Martin Chemnitz writes, All these blessings I say in perfect and complete fullness we have in Christ, who for us became incarnate, was crucified and rose again, so that as from our head to us as members, all these blessings are distributed and flow and are given, uh, given as our help from his fullness. As a result of this, Paul concludes that there is no need of any other elements of the world for our salvation since we possess his fullness in Christ. When you have Christ, you have it all. Um, and then one other rather lengthy quote from our Lutheran confessions. The, the, the Lutherans wrote the Augsburg Confession. Uh, the Roman Catholics responded uh, uh, to that. Uh, uh, with, uh, uh, and then the uh, Lutherans responded to their response in what was called the Apology, which is not, I'm sorry for being a Lutheran, but uh, it means a defense of what we what we confessed in the um, Augsburg Confession. This is what the Apology says, uh, Philip Melanchthon. Paul teaches this in Galatians 3.13 when he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. The law condemns all men, but Christ, because without sin he bore the punishment of sin, and has been made a victim for us, has removed that, the right, that right of the law to accuse us and condemn those who believe in him, because he himself is the propitiation for them who, for whose sake we are now counted righteous. But since they are accounted righteous, the law cannot accuse or condemn them, even though they have not actually satisfied the law. Paul writes the same way to the Colossians, you have been filled, or you are complete, in him. As though he were to say, Although ye are still far from the perfection of the law, yet the remnants of sin do not condemn you, because for Christ's sake we have a sure and firm reconciliation, if you believe, even though sin dwells in your flesh. Um, You have been filled in him. But then, to what can you point? To what can you point in order to say that you are in him? And Paul answers that question in the next few verses. Look at verse 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all uh, us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what I want to do here with those verses, I want to talk about three different things. I want to talk about circumcision. I want to talk about covenants. And I want to talk about baptism. So first, circumcision. Um, circumcision was a sign or the sign of God's covenant establishing the people of Israel. God has made a covenant with Abraham. He said, I will give you many descendants. I will give you land. And that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Um, from uh, That's from Genesis chapter, tw- chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless... Um, yes. Um, now... God gave circumcision to Israel as a sign of the covenant. And so every time you would see the sign, you would remember the covenant that God made with you. Now, the sign is not in a very public place, needless to say. But you end up seeing the sign several times a day. Now, there was no circumcision for women. um, But... As a wife, they would see the mark of God's promise on their husband as through the woman, God would keep his promise of many descendants. Okay? So this sign set the Hebrews apart from all the pagan societies around them. Now, it's not that the pagan societies didn't circumcise. They did. But it's what God does with that promise. He puts, he puts a, a twist in it with his promise. The, when what we know about pagan circumcision uh, in, in, uh, in, in that day, especially the day of the children of Israel, um, pagan circumcised, the Canaanite circumcised, uh, you were circumcised right before marriage to prove that you were ready to get married. Um, and your father-in-law would be the one who circumcises you. Yeah, no, we don't want to. Um, God, on the other hand, establishes circumcision on the eighth day. Your father did it. And there God marked his promise on you. You're part of the family. Well, the covenant that God made with Abraham, many descendants land, and to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, all that was fulfilled in Christ. Um, and so, with the old covenant fulfilled, God cuts a new covenant. He cuts a new covenant with his new Israel. But it's a different kind of circumcision. It's one cut in the waters of holy baptism. So that's a little bit about circumcision. Um, the second thing has to do with covenants. There were a number of different kinds of covenants, but Two, two key ones. One was a, was a human obligation covenant. A human obligation covenant is where 
God acts and then he calls for a response on your part. Uh, Many of the Ten Commandments uh, are kind of like that. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and you may live long in the land. If you don't honor your father and your mother, then you won't live long in the land. God calls for a response. That's a human human obligation covenant. The divine commitment covenant is completely different. In a divine commitment covenant, God commits himself with an irrevocable promise to his people. And there is nothing that people can do in return. Um, there's, not, there's nothing to do. And that is illustrated in the, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham uh, that, I, that I've talked about, land, descendants, and to be a blessing to the people of the earth. Um, it's also illustrated in Genesis chapter 15 where Abraham, where God makes a covenant. He cuts a covenant with, 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 with Abraham. Um, if you recall that chapter, uh, Abraham, uh, God makes this promise to Abraham. You will have land, descendants, uh, uh, land, um, many descendants and be a blessing to the world. And then Abraham goes into a deep sleep and, and God, uh, God tells him in that sleep to take, uh, these halves, these, these animals and cut them in half and spread them open. And then what Abraham sees is a smoking fire pot that, that is God passing between the, the animals. Okay. Passing between these two animals, these animals that have been cut in half. The way uh, covenants would work back then was uh, you and I have a boundary dispute. Okay, Paul and I have this boundary dispute. And we finally make a, a, a resolution. This is, this is the boundary right here, okay? All right. And so after we've decided that that's what it really is, okay, then you'll go get an animal of yours. I'll go get an animal of mine. We'll cut it in half, all right? And then you'll take your animal, spread it apart, and I'll take my animal, we'll spread it apart, and you and I will both walk between the halves of the animals. And what we're saying by that, by the cutting of this covenant, what we're saying is, Paul, if I move the boundary toward you, you have my permission to cut me in half, just as we did these animals, okay? Now, you move it my way, and it goes that way as well, all right? So just remember, you want to be cut in half? Just play with the boundary. Okay, all right, all right. Paul and I would pass between the halves of the animals, in this vision that, that Abraham had, Abraham didn't go between the halves of the animals. Only God did. Only God did. And it's like God was saying, you can do to me what, we did to the, what, what you did to these animals if I break my promise to you. I will just not exist if I don't keep my promises. <laughs> All right, that's a divine commitment covenant. It depends only on God. Um, and so in regard to, to covenants, there are two different types of covenants, the human obligation covenant and the divine commitment covenant. And the promise that God made to Abraham uh, and the promise that God has made to you in Christ is a divine commitment covenant. Um, and finally, uh, baptism, because all this ties together in baptism. This section, if you will, gives us a little theology on, on holy baptism. Uh, I won't reread it. You've got it in front of you uh, if you have your Bibles open. But first note the comparison. Um, there's a correlation between circumcision and baptism. Circumcision and the circumcision done without hands. 
because that's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about baptism. If Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day, um, uh, yeah, we, we get kind of a timing here. If Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day, and then you became your Jewish family and you become a believers in Christ, who you, you come to believe that Christ is the Messiah, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, he's Lord and God. Um, then you have another child, and you read Paul talking about that, that in him, in Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When do you think you baptized that baby that you just had? You baptized that baby on the eighth day. Whether grandma could get there or not, whether it was a Sunday or a Thursday, whether it was Christmas or Easter, the eighth day is the day you baptized. Baptism replaces Jewish circumcision. Okay? And we know that as a fact from history. Um, the, the church from the very beginning was baptizing babies on the eighth day. Um, baptismal fonts were built with eight sides to them. Eight because eight was the, was the number. You can make too much of numbers, you can make too little of numbers, but eight was the number for Christ in the early church. Three is a, one is a number for God. Three is a number for, for the heavens. Four is a number for the earth. The earth has four winds, as you know. Um, uh, seven is a number of completeness. The heavens and the earth, just shy of completeness, is six. And then you want to have a, a complete number of incompleteness. You get six, six, six. All right. Um, the number for Christ is eight. He died on the sixth day. He rested on the seventh day. He rose on the eighth day, the first day of the new week. So you were baptized into Christ, into, in, into him. And so baptisms took place on the eighth day. We know Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Luke tells us that. Paul tells us that he was circumcised on the eighth day. The early church circumcised on the eighth, or baptized on the, on the eighth day. And so if you need to make points of comparison, you don't compare Jesus' baptism and Christian baptism. That's not the comparison. The comparison, at least according to Paul, is circumcision and baptism. Um, the picture comes up with baptism being a new birth as well. Um, and if you think about that, um, what did you do to get yourself conceived? Did your parents ask you before you even conceived, would you like to come into this world? What did you do to become, uh, to get, to be born? As I understand the, the, my nurses would have to tell me, but I think it's the mom who says, that's it. It's time to be pushed out. And the baby, you know, uh, it's time. You're not asked, would you like to be born now? Would you like another wait another month before you come into this cruel world? Um, no, you're just pushed out into this world. Um, and, uh, what did you do to become a child of God? Nothing. He chose you. 
Um, so what happens in baptism, Paul says here? We can get a little bit of a theology here. We won't be able to get through it all. Um, first, there's a putting off of the body of the flesh. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Um, and then later on, he's going to talk about uh, in Colossians and also in Galatians, there's a putting off and there's a putting on as well. Now, when Paul uses these words, um, putting off, he's probably uh, trying to get in there a little dig against the Gnostics. Um, the false teachers who probably held circumcision in high regard talked about the putting off of the evil flesh. You know, escaping the, the influence of, of, of the material world which they regarded as inherently evil. And Paul's little dig here is their circumcision didn't cut off much flesh, and maybe you want to snip off some more and make yourself even less physical and more spiritual. Uh, Just a small little dig there. But um, he does it another time in Scripture as well. Um, The false teachers, uh, Paul says, your circumcision didn't put off much flesh. Just a little bit. Um, but holy baptism, the circumcision made without hands, puts off the whole body of the flesh. And perhaps there, there's a comparison also again with circumcision in that it is a one-time act. There's no multiple circumcisions. There's no multiple baptisms. Um, there's a putting off of the body of the flesh. And so, as one of our commentators said, The picture that we can get here is the flesh has been removed from its throne of ruling the body and its members, making them serve the lusts of the flesh at the behest of the flesh. Now the spirit occupies the throne and the body and its members obey the spirit. That's true enough. This flesh is still lurking around. It's seeking to usurp the throne. But uh, for us as God's people, it succeeds only in making our members sin here and there. Um, But it's Christ's throne, and he reigns there. Um, Some of the commentators also talked about this whole putting off of the flesh gave rise to the practice in baptism where um, you uh, you went down into the waters of baptism um, completely naked. You put off the, 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 the dirty robes, and were baptized um, in, in, in the water and then raised up out of that water and a new robe wrapped around you. Um, I tell this story when I talk about baptism with, with uh, families. And uh, there was a tribe of Indians in South America who um, were taught by the Jesuits and so when, when the baby is born in this tribe, when the baby was born, the father would go out and make a casket for the baby. I've been around adult caskets, okay? And it's rattling enough. To be around a casket for an infant is a whole different animal, okay? And then to be the dad of the baby and go out and make a casket for your baby would be extremely hard. And then that casket is brought to the church. And the baby in his or her dirty clothes is lowered down into the casket in the liturgy of baptism. 
The robes are taken off, the dirty clothes are taken off the baby. The baby is baptized, water poured over the baby uh, in, in the casket, and the baby lifted out of the casket, dripping wet with the waters of holy baptism, and then a new baptismal garment is wrapped around that baby. It's Romans chapter 6. You'd never forget that as long as you live. Your baby going into a casket, you go into a casket when you die. And in baptism, we died with Christ. And in baptism, we are raised with Christ. And then the robe of Christ's righteousness wrapped around us. Christ's righteousness credited as ours. Um, all this happens um, by the circumcision of Christ, he says. Um, not Christ's circumcision, not, and some others uh, talk about, uh, Paul's talking about here, he says uh, uh, it, it means his death. No, um, uh, the, by the circumcision of Christ means by the circumcision that he inaugurated in holy baptism. So the first thing is the body of flesh has been put off in the waters of baptism. And then next he says, you have been buried with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm going to end at that point. We will we'll pick it up. I'll fill in a little bit more on the on buried in Christ and raised with Christ uh, next week. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Amen. So, what'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address: talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button. I have the maximum number of friends. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.